Uh, good morning. Am I on? Okay, there I am. Uh, yeah, welcome. It's good to see all of your lovely faces this morning. Uh, so I was actually thinking a couple weeks ago, Rod was preaching. He talked about um, how God works through interruptions. So we interrupt our service this morning for a very special announcement because I got a call this week uh, letting me know that a very special friend was in town. Actually, more than a friend. A member of our family is Northgate is in town and uh, she wanted some time to talk, and I said, absolutely, we'd love to have you. Elsie Lewandowski is here. And we just want to say welcome. We love seeing you so much, and we just look forward to it. So, yeah, please share whatever the Lord has on your heart. Oh, you can't, I can't even tell you how happy I am to be here today and how good it is to see so many familiar faces and new faces. So, yes, COVID has really taken our numbers in different directions, hasn't it? So we in Cameroon also were experiencing COVID. And so um, for many years, as you know, I was working with homeschool families. And then in 2018, our program gradually shut down. We had less and less children that were homeschooling, that were missionary children. Many of them had found other locations to be in, and many of the responsibilities that our missionaries were doing had now been handed over to Cameroonians, and so they were in leadership positions. There's still plenty for missionaries to do, but at this point, we didn't have any more families. So at that point, I started working with Rainforest International School, and I was teaching grades seven and eight, and that's when COVID hit. And we also went through all of the things that you did. We had a staff meeting on Tuesday, and our principal said, beware, we might be online. And on Wednesday, the president said, all schools are shut down. And I have to say that I was very grateful for our NAB Sioux Falls Seminary, because they said, oh, you need to be online? Here, come and join us. You can use our online program. So we were actually only shut down for about two weeks, and then we were right online. And so God has been very gracious with us. We have had only one COVID incident, and that shut down our school for two weeks. Otherwise, we've gone through hybrid, we've gone through on, off, on, off, and all of what you people have been going through as well. One of the things that did happen in our school, which was kind of unusual, it was we felt like we were really under satanic attack at times, and it wasn't only the COVID thing. We had several robberies. Most of the robberies were at night, and each time we made our security more and we trained our security guards one more level. And then it happened during the day. It, hap it happened while I was teaching class, all of us were teaching class, four men came onto the property, came into the office, showed their guns, got all the administration on the floor, took the money and left, but we didn't know where they were. So we got all the kids removed. And there were no incidents. But we have children in our school 
who have experienced the Civil War. Many of them have been in the Northwest and the Southwest and have lived with gunshots and have lived with people they knew that died. So this was a very traumatic event. And we were so grateful for God's presence there, for the Holy Spirit, and for counselors. Unfortunately, after our counselor had talked with many of our students, she discovered she had COVID. So she had contacted so many, so many. So that was when we had to shut down our school. And that was, it just felt like a satanic attack. And what came to my heart was we gathered together as a school to talk about how kids felt, what was the truth, and what were the rumors, and how are we going to deal with this. And it was one, it was one of my grade eight students, somebody who was a new Christian that said, we need to read Psalm, Psalm 91. Oh dear, I'm not sure I can read it now. Um, um, here we go. Let's see. No, I'm not going to do it. Um, Psalm 91 talks, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say, Rod, can you come up here and read this? <laughs> or somebody come up here and read this for me or give me a Kleenex. <laughs> All right. Because my eyes. Sure. It's right. These five verses. Psalms 91, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly persistence. Deadly persistence. Pestilence. Pestilence. Sorry, I can't say that word either. Okay, okay just the next verse. And then, he will cover you with his wings. wings, and under his wings you will find refuge. Okay. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Okay. And for us, not only did we have a uh, fowler's snare, we had someone that was trying to trap us, someone that was trying to cause trouble, but we also had the pestilence, just like you folks did, the COVID pestilence. And we thought, this is the verse. God is our refuge. He is our stronghold. He is our, our rampart. And for one of our kids to come up with that verse was just like, yes, that's exactly what we need. And so we have really finished the year well. Now, for me personally, um, I am now retiring. So I am finished in Cameroon, West Africa, and it was kind of difficult to say goodbye to everybody after 26 years, but God had gradually given me steps to say goodbye, say goodbye, say goodbye. And I went back up to the city where I've spent most of my time in Bamenda, and we had an amazing party. And they said to me, no, you can only have 50 people. And I thought, in 26 years, Elsie only knows 50 people? Are you kidding me? So they finally opened it up a little bit more at that time. And so it turned out to be 150 people, which is more realistic. And then we also had lots of visitors before and after when I was there. And I was 
just so blessed by everyone that I was able to say goodbye to and everyone that I was able to encourage. So I feel like I have said a really good goodbye to everyone and everything in Cameroon and um, was ready to stay another year. And then the mission office had said to me way back in January, Elsie, we have another job for you. And I said, oh, okay. They said, there is a family, um, uh, Jason and Aaron Bergman, who are from Edmonton. They live in South Edmonton. They attend Central Baptist, South Central Baptist. And they and their four children are going out to Romania. And they have never homeschooled, and they have never gone to a local school. We would like you to go out there to Romania and help them set up their educational situation. And I thought, God, this is a dream come true. I have always wanted to tour Europe and never thought I had enough money to do it. And now I get to live there? Like, really? For one year? This sounds like it's an amazing opportunity. So I'm gradually preparing curriculum and stuff I need to do to go to Romania. My hope was that I would go in September. But right around April, I was um, in the staff room, and I looked up at the clock, and I thought, hmm, the clock is black. I can't actually see the clock. What is going on? Well, in 2004, I had cancer in my eye. It was a very tiny cancer. It was a pinhead. And the surgeon here in Edmonton was able to use a laser and actually zap it. So I have been cancer-free for, what is that, 17 years or something? And so I thought, hmm, black spot. Cancer comes back. Maybe I should check this out. So I went to the doctors there, and they looked at it, and they said, no, this is nothing on your retina. It's something behind your eye, and it's pushing on your optical nerve, and that makes all of the things inside your eye going crazy. And so, therefore, we have to find out what that is. So I thought I had to leave right away, and I wouldn't have a chance to actually say goodbye. And people prayed and prayed, and they said, no, this thing is slow-growing. It's been there for some time. So I have now been here in Edmonton. I've seen the doctor, seen the doctor, seen a different doctor, and you know how hard it is to see a doctor. So this has been miracle after miracle after miracle all the way through. And I'm scheduled to see a doctor, a surgeon, eye surgeon in Calgary in two weeks. And so my, I would, my prayer is that you would continue to pray with me that the doctor will know what this is and how to remove it and what to do with this thing. They don't know if they can shrink it or if they actually have to do surgery and remove it. I'm hoping that whatever it is, it'll be whatever God wants it to be. But it looks like I won't go to Romania in September, but hopefully maybe November or December. So God has been so good to me the whole time. People have been praying. Some of you have heard about it and been praying. I'm so grateful. I don't deserve it, but God is my refuge and my rampart. So thank you. Thank you. Elsie, I'm just going to pray for you this morning. Oh, God, we thank you so much for Elsie, Lord. And, Lord, I pray, God, um, thank you that you protected her 
uh, during that scary time with those uh, robbers with the guns, God, and protect the children, Lord. And God, she's retiring from Cameroon, but she's not retiring from serving you. And we thank you for her faithfulness, Lord. And we just pray for her ministry coming up in Romania, God, that you continue to use her and bless her and to reach many souls for you. And we just pray for a special anointing upon her life. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, we have a tradition in our church. Um, we stand up for our missionaries just to honor you and your faithfulness towards God. And so let's just stand up and give Elsie an applause. Thank you so much for sharing, Elsie. Um, Welcome. Welcome to Northgate Baptist Church. If you are here online, we just want to welcome you and welcome you in person. We have um, two special people sitting here, Pastor Mark. Uh, if you want to just stand up so people can kind of get to know you. And you yeah, there he is. So he's going to be starting in August. So welcome. Put you on the spot, right? So uh, just uh, connect with him and his wife after the service if you'd like. Uh, so just um, if you're new to our church, we have a special gift for you. So just connect with an usher and they will give that to you and we can get that information. Uh, just a few announcements. Um, Pastor Garrett, where are you? See, okay, he's hanging around. You guys know Pastor Garrett. He's looking for someone to host a young adult lunch. So if you would like to do that, connect with Pastor Garrett. And it's a real opportunity just to connect with some of the young people in our church. You can, you know, just give your backyard. It's nice outside. That'd be really great. So the staff is hosting August 11th, a joy tea from 2 o'clock to 3.30. So if you're over 50 years old, please come and join us. Um, I'm so grateful that uh, Marlene, or not Marlene, uh, Wendy and Bonito on our team, because it was up to Garrett and Mark and I, it'd be like Twinkies and juice boxes, but uh, yeah, it's going to be really good, so so grateful we have a good team to put on a good tea, right, so um, Pregnancy Care Center, they are moving, if you are interested in doing, uh, they need help, so you can pack uh, light duty moving, and they're looking also for supplies as well too, like packing tape and boxes, so if you're interested in supporting that ministry, just reach out to the Pregnancy Care Center. We want to send our condolences to um, Dennis uh, Kruger, passed away July 16th. Dennis was involved in our church um, right up until 2015, and he got relocated to Calgary, and he passed away. So just keep his family in prayer. So. Um, this morning, I want to invite Sarah Wogan with up. She has put a lot of work into um, our children's ministry, and she's going to give an update on VBS, and then I'll pray for her after. All right. Thanks, guys. So it has been a completely different year. We were doing online Sunday school, and now we're doing hybrid of both. And I had the privilege of doing online VBS. Completely something new. I didn't run VBS before either, so that was a complete new change for me. And then doing it on online was more creative. So I just wanted to thank you for all your prayers that you guys were leading up to it. It went well. The kids were completely engaged. They really enjoyed it. We had it in the evening time every day this past week. And the kids were, like I said, were really engaged, really looking forward to it. The parents were checking in on them around 730 
I was still kind of doing crafts with them, and all the kids are like, no, go away. I'm kind of doing my BBS, mom and dad. <laughs> so it was great to hear from that. The kids loved the messages, and our whole message was focus on God. Focus on what you could see in, through God in creation and how he created all of us, and since we cannot see God himself. And then here, we could hear from God. So we could hear from God by listening to the word, listening to sermons, being connected by Bible study and what have you. And then we could talk to others about our, what we believe in. And then we could pray anytime about anything, about any, anywhere. And that was a great, that was day four. And so that was a really good day because the kids really opened up. We had prayer time. Sorry, I'm going to, good thing there's Kleenex here. I'm going to cry too. <laughs> we had prayer time and just was connecting really well with the kids. And then we also shared the gospel message. And four kids became Christians. So all that hard work, every little thing, God gets the glory because those kids are now on path to learn more about God. And so it was all worth it, just for that. <laughs> and then day five was awesome. We wrapped everything up. And then we had a fun party last night, well, last afternoon, with bubble foam and soaker foams and um, what is that called, Rod? Um, slip and slides. <laughs> I couldn't remember what that was. So the kids had a lot of fun. So continue to pray for all those kids. I'm going to continue to connect with them. I'm going to definitely follow up with the ones that just accepted Christ and just be more mentoring with them. So just continue to pray with them and thank you so much for all your prayer support. On behalf of the church, we just want to say thank you so much for all your hard work, Sarah. Um, she put hours and hours and hours into VBS, staying up till 1 a.m., 2 a.m. Uh, she was preparing uh, all the crafts and delivering them to the houses. So she just went above and beyond. So I appreciate you so much for all your faithfulness and your work. So all right, we're going to pray, and Sarah and I are going to scoot out with the kids. So. All right, Lord, thank you so much for your faithfulness to us, Lord. We just pray for those those children that made decisions for you, Jesus. We pray, Lord, that uh, your spirit would continue to work in their hearts, God. And we just pray for Pastor Mark as he preaches your word, God, that uh, your Holy Spirit would just speak to him. And we just give your service into your hands. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, guys, let's scoot out.
man, see all the people at home missed all my funny jokes. I start over. <laughs> all right. Uh, but yes, Linda, just, just want to acknowledge your presence here. And if you want to give her your condolences uh, on the way out, uh, just encourage you to do that. Um, but yeah, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up uh, to the book of Acts, chapter 6. Uh, I almost feel after Elsie shared and after, you know, we got the update from the DBS, I almost don't need to preach. We've had so much good stuff talked about today, uh, but I'm going to do it anyway. So chapter 6 of Acts, uh, and chapter 6 is kind of an interesting one. It's a bit of a transitionary uh, chapter in a transitionary time in, in the church, and I think I think the church was in transition and some of the people in the church probably didn't even know it was already taking place because there is a shift that happens in chapter 6. Uh, and the shift is kind of from, you know, the, the Hebrew, Aramaic-speaking Jews, Jewish believers in Jerusalem. There's a shift to sort of more the Hellenistic Jews uh, from various places who were from all over the place who were in Jerusalem. And then from there we see a shift that goes to the Samaritans and then even to the Gentiles uh, and the church expanding to the known world. But that whole shift sort of as they start looking beyond Jerusalem happens, I think, right in this passage because that, that transition is going to be led by some of the people that we meet in our passage this morning. So if you want to follow along with me uh, and read Acts chapter 6, uh, verses 1 to 7 is what we'll be looking at this morning. Acts 6, 1 to 7. It says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples, and they said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers... Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Simon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, and a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and they laid hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Father God, uh, Lord, thank you for even all that we've heard already this morning about all that you are doing. Uh, Lord, uh, you are amazing, and Lord, we just thank you for that. And Lord, we pray for Elsie, that Lord, you would just continue to guide her and some of those things that, you know, tests and doctors, and the Lord, just prepare the way for her as she continues to want to serve you uh, in this opportunity in Romania. We pray for Linda as well and her family uh, with the loss of Dennis, and we pray that you would just lift her up at this time and give her grace and comfort and be near to her, uh, Lord, as she begins this process of grieving and saying goodbye. And Lord, for our time in the Word this morning, we just ask that, uh, again, you would be with us in a very special and powerful way. That, Lord, you would use me as your servant just to, to proclaim the truth that you would have us here this morning. Uh, truth that is not just heard, but, Lord, truth that transforms our hearts. Draws us closer to you and, and just makes us more and more into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. We just want to commit our time to you here this morning once again. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Well, as we begin sort of looking at our passage this morning, I'm going to begin in an unusual way by talking about myself, because <laughs> I just, since the COVID restrictions were lifted, uh, I've been making a commitment to try to get to the gym to exercise, uh, you know, uh, and they, I know they tell me exercise is really good for me and all that stuff. I have to tell you, though, it hurts. I'm maybe not as young as I used to be, and there are days that it's, I'm just sore from using muscles that have been dormant so long. In fact, uh, there's weeks that I preach here, I'm just moving my arms like this. You may not notice it, but it's, I'm, I'm old. It hurts. And they say no pain, no gain, but um, yeah, it, it hurts. And I remember a very similar thing with my kids. You know, when kids were young, they weren't exercising, but they were just growing up. And, you know, they, they'd get a growth spurt, and with the growth spurt, you know, would come those growing pains. Uh, you know, just, it, it hurts to grow. And while both of those things are good, exercising and growing up, they're good for you. Too much, too fast can lead to discomfort. And that's true even for churches. When churches grow, there are often growing pains. And we actually see that in our passage this morning, in Acts chapter 6. And we're told, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. And as you read that verse in verse 1, when it says the church was increasing in number, keep in mind just how fast the church was actually growing in the book of Acts. I mean, we've already read several places uh, already in the book of Acts where we're told thousands, thousands of people were saved at one time. Now, other places tell us that multitudes were coming to faith. And still other places tell us that daily the Lord was adding to their number. Uh, which leads some people to estimate the church uh, in Jerusalem at that time may have had as many as twenty to 30,000 people uh, in this church at this time, and it was only just a few months old. That is extreme growth. But even when churches are not seeing that kind of growth, and they're just growing slower than that, there are often still sort of stress and discomfort and even conflict that can arise because the church is growing. And that really leads us to what is the first lesson from the passage this morning that we have. And that's growing churches still experience problems. Uh, you know, growing churches are not just all kumbaya all the time. Like, one, it's wonderful that all God is doing and nobody complains and everybody's happy. That's just not realistic. Even when God is at work in very powerful and amazing ways, the church still has, there's still tension and there's still problems that come up. And it can be tough. Uh, even when God is at work. In fact, sometimes you expect it. I, guess, I remember joking with some of the elders at my last church, and basically, like, things have been going so well for so long. Something must be terribly wrong that we just don't see, because we should really be having problems if something, you know, if God is at work. Because growth leads to growing pains. And I've seen this firsthand as churches grow, uh, that things change. I mean, nobody likes change, and, and growth is change. Uh, and sometimes, you know, when a church is growing, you show up in church and, you know, there's a new person sitting in your favorite spot and it's just, it's awkward. Or, you know, sometimes it's hard to find parking. Uh, sometimes you, it's hard to remember all the names of the new people and you just feel uncomfortable. You know, sometimes they sing new songs or they start doing new things in different ways or, you know, our church just feels different than it used to be because of all these people. And, you know, sometimes as the church grow, grows, you know, that small sort of church bubble that you used to know, um, you were so comfortable with. Now, 
sort of becomes a place where you feel almost overlooked because there's so many other people uh, coming and going. And that's, that's kind of what was happening in the church in Jerusalem. Uh, as this church was growing, uh, we're told some people just felt overlooked. Um, verse 1 continues, A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the conflict here that we're talking about, the division we see in this church, really runs along what I would call cultural or language divide. Uh, because both of these groups, the Hellenists and the Hebrews, they were both Jewish. Uh, but one of the groups spoke Aramaic. Uh, they read the Bible in Hebrew, and they're probably a little bit more traditional. Uh, the other group, the Hellenists, were Jews that, who spoke Greek, uh, probably had traveled widely around the empire. Uh, they read a Greek translation of the Bible, and they probably just had different translations and ways of doing things that they were used to. Uh, and it actually kind of reminded me of, of uh, it's not all that different than we see in ethnic churches, you know, where the parents come over from the old country and they still sort of speak their native tongues and they still have the old world traditions and values, but then their children, you know, have sort of integrated more into the new culture and they speak English and they, you know, they do all those weird, you know, Canadian kid things. And there's, between these two groups, there's this, this tension uh, because there's differences, but they're one church and they're just trying to find a way forward. Uh, I see that in the book of Acts happening. And now you add sort of that, that tension of these cultural groups, and you add that to this unprecedented growth that we're seeing in this church. And it's not hard to see how the church in Jerusalem could have really been headed uh, for some very big problems um, because of this growth. Uh, John MacArthur, in his commentary on Acts, he says they hadn't had time to adjust to their growth. So now we see them faced with the logistical impossibility of ministry, ministering effectively to all of these people. He says someone had to ensure the poor got the food they needed. Someone had to oversee the collection of what the Christians gave and the distribution of it to those who were in need. Another person had to supervise getting the elements for the Lord's table and figure out how many people to prepare for. Someone else needed to take care of the details of baptism and locating appropriate places. Someone else had to make sure people knew where, when and when they were meeting and, and had to ask someone to hold the teaching. And he says, with all of that to oversee and more, the apostles were getting overloaded. And in the midst of all of those stresses and those growing pains, uh, we're told one group just started feeling like we're getting overlooked. Um, they were feeling like others in the church were getting special treatment or better treatment than they were. And again in verse 1, we read that the complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Again, the church was looking after people in need, uh, giving freely to those who had need. But again, they felt like, yes, the church was being generous, but we're, our group was not being as generous to as the others. Oh, that doesn't make sense, but they were being overlooked. Uh, and as we read those verses, I, I really I don't get the sense that there's any bad intention here or any ill will. This was not sort of the one group sort of intentionally making life difficult for the others. This is really just a matter of, it was, they were overlooked. It was a breakdown in, in either organization or communication just due to the rapid growth that the church had seen. People were falling through the cracks. Uh, but unfortunately, this one group that was being overlooked decided that what they're going to do is just complain about things. Uh, and sadly, complaints are not unusual. I actually found a cute illustration that comes from uh, comment cards that people filled out after visiting some national parks. And you'd think, you know, 
national parks are awesome. You're surrounded by nature. There's beautiful trails to walk, fresh air, wildlife. What could be there to complain about? Well, the following are actual responses from comments cards given to staff members. Uh, this one was very precious. Please avoid building trails that go uphill. <laughs> yeah, in a mountain park, that seems really realistic. Um, maybe downhill both ways. I don't know how that works. Um, then there's this guy. Um, he says, the places where trails don't exist are not well marked. <laughs> Do they understand? No. Uh, one person, too many bugs and spiders. Please spray the wilderness to get rid of them. Um, and not just bugs. One guy is like, the coyotes made too much noise last night and kept me awake. Please eradicate the annoying animals. Uh, another person was shocked that the animals weren't put into cages at night, and they're like, that's just unrealistic and very unsafe. Um, uh, this person, reflectors need to be placed on trees every 50 feet so people can hike at night with flashlights, which, again, doesn't make sense if there's coyotes outside at night. Uh, but my favorite was, somebody wrote, a small deer came into my camp and stole the jar of pickles. Can I please be reimbursed for my expenses? And they actually left their phone number. Like, wow. Um, People will complain about anything. Uh, it doesn't take much, but that's true even in churches. You know, believers are not immune to that sort of complaining spirit. And even when you read through your Bible, there's places where you see God is at work in amazing, powerful ways, rescuing people, doing miracles, and yet still many times you find that the people of God who are going through those things are still complaining about it. But the Bible has very strong words uh, for people who, you know, about this kind of behavior as believers. Uh, Philippians 2, verses 14 and 15 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. We're told it's hard to shine your light if you're busy complaining. James uh, 5, verses 9 uh, says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, where Paul is speaking about the Israelites wandering in the desert under Moses. He says, Nor should we put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and then died from snake bites. And don't grumble, as some of them did, and then were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. Complaining, is, it's just never the way to go. So let me give you some advice by way just of application. And that's simply, don't complain. Don't murmur, don't grumble about any of those things. And in saying that, that I'm not saying you have to pretend to be happy about everything that's happening in a church. And I'm not saying you can't have an opinion and you can't give feedback. Uh, but if you do want to give feedback or if you need to talk to someone about something, take this advice as well. Uh, first thing I would say is always speak to the person in charge. Always speak. If you have something to say to someone or about something, take it to the person of responsibility instead of talking behind their back. Uh, in our passage, as you see, the people in this church, they never took the complaint to the apostles, uh, who were the guys who could do something about it. They just talked about each other. They uh, talked about the other group, you know, kind of amongst themselves. Uh, they accused that other group of wrongdoing. And as Ray Steadman says, he said, this is still the devil's favorite trick to divide Christians. You murmur when you complain about a problem, but not to the one who can do something about it. 
So if you have something to say, go, go say it to the person or go take it to the leader to let them know that there's an issue or that you see a problem. And you know what? As a leader, I can tell you, I actually really appreciate that. Uh, you know what? Helping me see problems that I don't see or, or I don't know exist actually is really helpful to me as a leader because I don't see everything. So if having someone come to me directly, super helpful. Having people just talk about it behind my back, not helpful. So that's the first piece of advice. Second piece of advice I would give you in this area is just never complain about something without first being willing to be part of the solution. Um, one commentary I read this week said something along the lines of the best way to stop complaining is to put complainers to work. I think that's absolutely true. So when you complain about something, don't let your words be, you need to fix this problem. Uh, let your words be, we need to fix this problem and what can I do to help? Uh, that's a completely different attitude that I think is a blessing uh, to a church. Uh, and the church in Jerusalem was making both of those mistakes. They were talking behind the apostles' back, and they weren't really sort of being willing to help with the problem. But luckily, the apostles hear about the problem, and they take action. And that's what we see in verse 2 and 3. It says, And the, the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. And they said, It is not right that we should give up on preaching the word to, of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, and whom we will appoint to this duty. So here's the second lesson that we get from our passage. And that's simply from these verses, we really see that a growing church recognizes the value of all ministry. Um, you know, people sometimes refer to this passage as the foundation of the office or the role of deacon in the church. And while that word deacon isn't specifically used here, the verb is. And because deacon is basically just another name, word for servant. And this, this passage talks about serving or, or ministry that's happening in this church. I mean, it talks about the ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer and the ministry of distributing food and the ministry of serving on tables. And what this passage is telling us is that all of those ministries were ministries, and those ministries mattered. And that not one of those ministries was any more important to the church than any other. Of course, that's not what everybody thinks when they read that verse. Because it would be very easy to sort of read this verse as the apostles saying something along the lines of, we are way too good to be serving tables. So let's pick out, you know, seven grunts who can do this really menial task while we devote ourselves to the much more important spiritual work of prayer and the word. Uh, but if that's what you're hearing as you read that verse, you've misread it. Because again, the disciples, the apostles especially, were first and foremost servants at heart. Jesus set that example for them when he you know, picked up the towel and washed the disciples' feet. To the apostles, they knew there was no job so lowly that it was below them as, as servants of God. Uh, even as Philippians 2, verses 5 and 7, says to all of us, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. So if this was not a job that the apostles felt was beneath them, uh, why didn't they pick it up? Why didn't, you know, what's going on? Well, it's simply that the apostles, they couldn't do everything especially as the church continued to grow in number. There were too many people with too many needs now for the 12 to meet all of those needs personally. And you know, it's not uncommon in a growing church for the leadership to go from being sort of very hands-on when it comes to ministry to being a place where they need to delegate much of that ministry 
to others. Uh, it's actually like the old saying, it's better to put 10 men to work than to try to do the work of 10 men. Um, that's really what's happening in the book of Acts. There was too much work to go around for the apostles to take on one more thing. Uh, but that doesn't make any of these ministries less important or less vital to the church. The apostles are really saying, we need all of it. So let's make sure it gets done. And yet again, too often in the church, I think sometimes the visible roles, the public roles are kind of the roles that get the glory. You know, the pastors and the missionaries and the worship leaders. And we, we do sometimes tend to look down on some ministries and lift other ministries up, but it's wrong. All ministry is important and essential to the church. And that brings us to another application I want to give you this morning. And it's simply every person has an important ministry that they can offer to the church. Uh, this goes to the idea of spiritual gifts that God has given to each person, every single believer, a gift to be a blessing to the church. There is something that every person, every believer can do to serve and minister. And sometimes as a church, I think we can be guilty of not reminding people and telling people how truly important they are to the ministry of this church and how much we need uh, what they have to offer. But hear it again, every believer has a part to play. Every believer has a role. Every believer has a place where they can serve because nobody is a nobody in the body of Christ. And while no one person can do everything, everybody can do something. Um, and that's an important lesson. But you know, even as I say that, um, you should also know that ministry in the church is more about just keeping people busy. Uh, and I think we look at verse 3 again to see this lesson. Therefore, we're told, brothers, pick out from among you Seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And here's a third lesson that we learned this morning, and that's in a growing church, we put character before busyness. Uh, because the church, I think, has often been guilty in the past of suffering from warm body syndrome, right? Uh, there's a job that needs doing and a position that needs filling, and we think any warm body will do. Let's just get somebody in there. If you can, if you can fog a mirror with your breath, you're qualified sometimes, right? But you know what? If we're going to be properly using that spiritual gift that God gave to us, we need to know that every spiritual gift is exercised in the power of the Holy Spirit working through us. And using our spiritual gifts is actually part of what is, helps us grow in Christ. But sometimes a trap people fall into is that we actually get just so busy serving or even serving outside our area of, of gifting and just filling a position that things like spending time with God in our life actually get pushed to the side. Uh, sometimes I think our busyness distracts us from our spiritual growth. And it's important that as a church and as believers, we don't confuse just busyness and getting things done and activity with spiritual maturity. So an application I, I want to give you here, and I'll just keep this one simple, is don't get so busy doing things for God that you don't have time to spend growing with God. Um, and that's especially true if, you, if you're looking at a position of leadership in the church. Um, and that's why we see the apostles, they set some pretty high credentials for this task. You know, this is, this is much more, many more credentials than you'd probably think they would need for people who are just giving out food. Because we're told they had to be believers. They had to have good reputation. They had to be full of the Holy Spirit. They had to be full of wisdom. And they do that because, again, character matters. Character counts. And with God, character always comes first. 
And that living, vital, active relationship with Christ really has to be a prerequisite for anything and everything else that we do in the church. We have to make sure we are growing first. Uh, and that leads us to verse 5 of our passage this morning. It says, And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. So the apostles put forward this proposal uh, to meet this need. And we're told the people in the church, all the people, were pleased. And the lesson I think we can learn from this verse is that growing churches are open and willing to try new things. Um, and that's not always the case. Uh, there's an old illustration that says, the standard distance between railroad tracks in North America is four feet, eight and one half inches. And if you wonder why it's such an odd number, it's because that's the way they built railroad tracks in England. And the English adopted that particular measure because the people who built the tramways before the railroads used that gauge. And the people that built the tramways used that measure because that was the standard for building wagons. So why were wagons built to that scale? Well, because with any other size, the wagon wheels didn't match the old wheel ruts on the roads. So who built the old rutted roads? Well, the first long-distance highways in Europe were built by the Roman Empire, and the ruts were made by Roman chariots, which had an axle distance of four feet, eight and one-half inches. And the moral of the story is, it's hard to break out of a rut, uh, I guess. But many churches, I think they get stuck in a rut like that. They just keep doing the same things over and over again because that's what we've always done. But sometimes a new challenge and a new opportunity comes along and the church just has to say, we need to take hold of it. Um, new ministries come along. We have to embrace them. There's new ways of doing things that can make us more effective and we need to adopt them and just embrace that change when we have the opportunity to do it. And churches that have a hard time changing can often get left behind. Uh, there's something called Conford's Law. It's like Murphy's Law, but sort of for churches. And it's kind of a joke. But it says, nothing is ever done until everyone is convinced that it ought to be done and has been convinced for so long that it is now time to do something else. Um, I think that's sometimes way too true. But the tragedy is that the more that churches resist change, the less relevant and effective they can become. And of course, as a church, we don't just, I don't want to say, we don't just change for the sake of change. Uh, that's not what I'm saying here. We don't just change to make the church, you know, more popular or trendy or, you know, to follow the latest fashions. But we should be willing to adapt in order to be more intentional about our mission and to make disciples. We should be willing to try new things, to meet new needs and to see new opportunities that we see coming up in our church and in our community. And we should be willing to change if it can help us better fulfill our calling as a church. Because as John Maxwell once said, people change when they learn enough that they want to change, they receive enough that they are able to change, or they hurt so much that they have to change. And many churches choose to change only because they fall into that last category. So for an application here, and this one will be quick, is... As a church, we need to honor our traditions and our past, but we should also be looking to embrace new opportunities um, because there is no growth without change. So the church in Jerusalem, they try something new. 
And then this happens, verse 6. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. And I, I love this moment in the church because the apostles don't just say to these seven guys, uh, great, you're hired, get to work, let us know how it goes. Uh, they pray for these leaders, these new leaders who they're appointing. And then they lay hands on them, uh, which is a symbolic way of you know, passing on their blessing and giving them authority. And it can be even seen as a type of ordination. And here's the lesson. A growing church actively needs to encourage and support those who serve. Um, because I don't know if you've done that. I, this has happened to me, but have you ever been told by someone to do something? You've been given a task, but then the person who told you to do it never trusts you enough to make your own decisions. Uh, they don't give the authority, you know, to, 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 to you know, act independently. Uh, you know, they don't give you the resources you need to actually get anything done, you know, without a ton of maybe bureaucracy and forms you have to fill out. And then when all, after all of that, then you get criticized because you haven't done anything. You know, it, it's, it's crazy. Giving a person a job without giving them the support to do that job can be nothing but frustrating. And again, this is an area where sometimes churches fall short. You know, too many people in the church fall on their face or burn out every year, not for lack of trying, but for a lack of encouragement uh, or a lack of support. We need to support those who serve. We need to pray for them. We need to encourage them. We need to ensure that they have access to the resources that they need to minister. We need to give them you know, permission and authority that they need to fulfill their ministry and their calling. And we need to appreciate them and just not take them for granted. Um, because as I said earlier, not every job in the church is glamorous or, or high profile. And there are so many people in our church that serve so faithfully and few people ever see it. But we could not be a growing church without the faithfulness of the people who serve. So let me just publicly say thank you uh, to the people in this church who so faithfully serve. We may not always see it, but God sees it. Uh, and your work is so important. Your work is not in vain. Uh, so for an application on this lesson, uh, let me give you two things I want you to do. Uh, first, I want you to faithfully pray uh, for the people who serve in all the different areas of this church. Keep them in prayer constantly, you know, daily. Uh, hold them up, uh, both your leaders and all the other people uh, who do ministry here. The second thing I would encourage you to do, a little bit more practical, you can think of it as homework, uh, but this week I would really like you to write a note or a letter or a, even just a card of encouragement to someone in this church, uh, telling them how much you appreciate them for who they are and even what they do. It doesn't have to be long, maybe just a few sentences, but write something and give it to someone this week because encouragement and support can make such a big difference to people who are serving. So encourage someone this week. Uh, take that step. And that brings our passage to its conclusion in verse 7. It says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And that's an amazing testimony. And, you know, I often wonder what that verse, you know, would have said if no one would have been willing to wait on tables. You know, what if people just expected the apostles to say, you know what, you figure this out, it's your problem. Uh, figure it out yourself. Well, there's a good chance it would have read something like this. That the word of God was preached only on Sundays. The apostles all slowly burnt out from stress and left the ministry. 
And the church in Jerusalem shrank a little bit each year until it finally closed. And yet we see that's not what happened because there were people who were willing to serve and do their part. And what an amazing result because of it. We're told the word of God was spread. The people were saved. The church grew. And even some of those stubborn priests became obedient to the faith. And I like, actually like how Warren Wiersbe summarizes it. He says, the church was unified, multiplied, and magnified. So this morning, I just want to encourage each and every one of you to grow and to serve. Uh, so that we can too can be part of a vital growing church. I'm asking you to take a chance and step out in faith and risk, you know, trying new things, new ministries, new looking for new opportunities where you can serve or you, our church can serve. I'm asking you to be brave enough to say yes when maybe in the past you've said no. I'm asking you to share your faith with others, to use your gifts and your talents for the Lord. Because the truth is that every church is going to have problems, but the solution comes when the people of that church are unified in love, united in purpose, willing to serve, and encouraging and supporting those who minister among us. Because we can't do church alone. But with the power of the Holy Spirit and with each person doing their part, we too can be a church that is unified, multiplied, and magnified. We can truly just change the lives of the people in this church and all around us for the better. I mean, if we do that, we'll see God do great things and we can give God the glory as we trust him to lead our church into a season of growth. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this church and how <laughs> your faithfulness to it through the years and how we've seen this church grow, uh, how we've seen you at work uh, in so many ways. Even during the pandemic, Lord, we saw your hand at work doing new things um, in pushing our church in new directions, giving us new opportunities. Um, and Lord, we know that every time those opportunities, it's not easy. Growth is hard. Uh, it can be uncomfortable. And we don't like change. But Lord, we believe um, that there is a purpose for our church. There's a purpose for all that we've had to endure, the hardships and the growing pains. And that, Lord, you are leading us to places where there will be new ministries and new opportunities for us to serve. And I pray that you would give us eyes to see that. I pray that, Lord, we would, as a church, be gracious to each other and not grumble against each other. But, Lord, we would be people who support and encourage each other, especially those who serve. And I pray that you would give us leaders of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom to lead us at this time. But, Lord, we also pray for all of us that you would give us servant hearts so that, Lord, in the end, through this church, we would see your word preached your work done, we would see people saved, we would see disciples made, that we would see this church growing and we would see you glorified as a result of all that you're doing in our midst. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, please rise for